Welcome everyone to our NCAA social series. I'm Andy Katz, pleased to be joined by Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA chief medical officer. Been with me, if I'm not mistaken, almost every week. We are in episode 19 now, believe it or not. And we're honored to be joined by Dr. Leon McDougall from The Ohio State University Wexler Medical Center, also a member of the NCAA Coronavirus Advisory Panel, and just recently elected president of the National Medical Association. That's where I want to start, Dr. McDougall, about first of all, how that organization, your work um, with that organization and what you're doing at The Ohio State University, um, how that affects you know, what we're seeing with coronavirus, certainly in the black and brown communities, which are disproportionately affected by this dreadful disease. A uh, very good question, uh, Andy. So this involvement with the National Medical Association started with a collaboration with the Rainbow Push Coalition and Reverend Jesse Jackson. And you said it, uh, sports uh, is very important and many members of our community are actively engaged in sports, collegiate athletics, and also at the professional level. As you know, 65% uh, of the NFL is African-American, 78% of the NBA is African-American. And uh, our concern was we were hearing uh, various stories from campuses in regards to COVID-19, 19 infections uh, with athletes and didn't quite see what the protocol was that was overarching uh, the various conferences and uh, schools. So uh, Reverend Jackson uh, convened a meeting with uh, President uh, Mark Emmert and Chief Medical Officer uh, Brian Hainline. And we had a, a really good discussion and uh, prior to the release of the resocialization uh, protocol, and we uh, had dialogue and helped contribute uh, our concerns uh, to uh, this lack of relative transparency, really wanting to assure that the guiding principle of beneficence was uh, being used to help ensure uh, best uh, interest of uh, athletes uh, and uh, their families. The National Medical Association established in 1895. We represent the collective voice of uh, physicians of uh, African descent, uh, over 45,000 uh, in the United States. And this is an important issue. You know, and, and I want you to jump in on this uh, on the back end, Dr. McDougall, but I want to get your take on this, Dr. Hainline, that, and we've heard this throughout the course of the last four to five months, that so many people, and I'm not saying a blanket statement that, you know, athletes uh, of color come from disproportionate communities, but some do. Some live in multi-generational homes. Uh, some families certainly work in the service industry, the medical industry as nurses, aides, uh, working in hospitals. And there's a lot of, you know, where they have to go to work. Um, and, you know, it's a major concern about when they're back home. Um, you know, the numbers show it. Uh, what, have you, what have you taken from that, Dr. Hainline, about what can be done about that, what the data has shown as to why those communities are being affected more? 
Wendy, I think what COVID-19 has really laid bare is that there are really massive discrepancies in our society. And these discrepancies are, are based on uh, institutionalized racism. Uh, they're based on socioeconomic issues that are very hard to shift unless, unless we really move in a, a proactive manner. And so, you know, it's very different if, if you know, you're a, a white person in Manhattan and you can socially distance out in the Hamptons versus if you're an African-American in, in, in Manhattan and, and you're living in a, a building where you have to share the elevator with 20 people to get to work. And so that's just not how it is for everyone. But if you look at the statistics, it's, it's very clear that there, there is a divide in it and it's a notable divide. And then we also have to extend that uh, to athletics. And I, I think it's very important that, that this have that this be an open and transparent discussion. So it's not across the NCAA at all divisions, but if you look especially at, at the divisions where uh, we really see the NCAA on TV. So what most people know about the NCAA represents about 5% of the NCAA. That's what you see on TV. You don't see the 95% of the athletes who are, are competing in, in a lot of other sports, but of those 5% is disproportionately represented by African-Americans. And also disproportionately, it's represented by white coaches and white athletic directors and white commissioners. So, so that's a conversation we need to have. Why I'm grateful that uh, we're working with the National Medical Association. I've actually known this group for, for some time. I, I, I spoke at, at an NMA meeting uh, many years ago and it was, uh, it was regarding tennis and, and, and issues that, that, you know, how tennis wanted to really try to work in a more meaningful way. But the NMA has always been a, a moral voice, if you will, of, of understanding that racism and, 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 and social justice issues, these are public health matters. These, these aren't just political discussions. This has a drastic impact on public health. And that is equally important in, in the sport world. So, so that's why we have to be transparent. And, and, and I really welcome these discussions. And, and as Dr. McDougall stated, it, it, was, it was wonderful to speak with the Reverend Jesse Jackson and, and, and his team. And, and that's what led to, to my, uh, you know, I'm grateful that that's what led to my meeting with Dr. McDougall as well. So Dr. McDougall, if you want to add, what, what tangible aspects do you think going forward can be applied? So uh, one of the issues that we were concerned about and has been addressed by the NCAA. So say, uh, you're someone uh, who uh, contracts uh, COVID-19 or you have a concern uh, whereby uh, due to underlying health conditions that you may want to opt out of the season. Uh, what's the NCAA's position on being able to uh, main, maintain uh, your uh, scholarship? and and the uh, leadership uh, spoke to that, uh, recommending that uh, students not uh, lose uh, their uh, scholarship uh, as a result of this uh, uh, opting out based on uh, some of the uh, risk involved uh, with uh, COVID-19. So uh, in addition uh, to that, even from an insurance standpoint, where we're saying, uh, well, what's going to happen if a student, uh, say their parents don't have good insurance, and we're talking about from division three through division one, and 
they contract COVID-19. Uh, what, what, what's going to be the responsibility of that university as it pertains to uh, providing uh, health care uh, for that uh, athlete? Uh, and that's student, and let me emphasize student athlete. Uh, and we spoke to that uh, issue of concern because parents were really, uh, uh, you know, with the Affordable Care Act, there's a provision about pre-existing uh, illnesses. Uh, and so say someone has asthma or something of that sort and develops COVID-19, is that going to be something that's covered? Uh, we went through uh, a number of uh, concerns as it pertains to uh, one, that transparency. That's why uh, I really appreciate the work of uh, Dr. Hainline and the uh, COVID-19 advisory panel. So I wanna to shift to a couple issues that have occurred over the last couple of weeks, uh, or actually more the last week, uh, at the professional level and at the collegiate level. And, and that is first off, and we, we talked about this, Dr. Hainline earlier, and I wanna get your opinion on this, Dr. McDougall. Um, so in baseball, you've got an outbreak with the Miami Marlins. They're having to sit games out. And we've discussed this, and you know, if we have the season we all hope in some form or fashion, if a team has what is deemed to be an outbreak and has to take itself out of competition, um, how much do we have to get to the point, Dr. McDougall, and this would be certainly you're at the Ohio State University, so it would have to be in a place like the Big Ten, where you have to accept that there may come a point during the season, regardless of sport, that Team X may be removed for a couple of weeks. And you may have one team play eight games, one team play 10 games, or whatever the sport is, and we have to move on if that team or teams have to be removed from competition due to the protocols being followed of quarantine if there is what is deemed to be an outbreak. Dr. McDougall. So uh, Andy, uh, another uh, great question and speaks to the power of having a published uh, protocol because there's a whole section in here speaking to uh, and providing uh, parameters whereby a school or team may not be able to continue. So that's in that that's in this document. So uh, now, uh, in regards to uh, my opinion today, is that of the president elect, soon to be president on Monday of the National Medical Association and a member of the NCAA uh, advisory. Uh, panel on coronavirus. So that's that's my speaking vantage point here today. So the protocol has been published right here on, on the website. That provision is in there. Well, Dr. Hainline, that, that's a shift that we've all had to accept here with the NCAA that, you know, it can't all be equal. That if, if you're not ready to go, if you have to sit out, you got to sit out and other teams are going to have to move on. Uh, I'm curious, just what have you seen in terms of that acceptance of that, that that's the place we're in right now, that not everyone's going to be able to participate or may not be able to participate as we go forward? Wendy, I think that's not only accepted, it's anticipated. And so when you see, uh, let's talk about football, that, that schools are decreasing the number of games that they have. 
a part of that is that, you know, then you aren't really counting on the fact that you're going to be playing one week after the other and it allows for a little bit of flexibility if there has to be uh, more downtime in a team. Because, you know, when you think about it, if they're, if, with, with quarantine, which is different than isolation, you could be newly infected with COVID and return in 10 days if you're asymptomatic or have minimal symptoms. Those are the CDC guidelines. But quarantine, if you're a high contact risk exposure, that's 14 days. And what's not clear, you know, so we, we've been talking to, to our, our counterparts in, 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 in rugby and soccer and, 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 and Europe and, and elsewhere, and what constitutes a high-risk contact in these sports? And, it, and it's, not, it's, it's not crystal clear, but uh, so you're seeing that evolution. You're also seeing that um, we're, we're having uh, really very serious discussions at the championship level What's the minimum number of contests that you need to play to have a national championship? And that's gonna be decreased considerably as well. And so all of this is taking into account the fact that there probably will be downtime uh, for teams because that's the right thing to do. That's the safe thing to do. Um, you know, if we're able to even proceed in a manner that we believe can be safe going forward in the season. So yeah, <laughs> these conversations are having, I mean, I've had them, you know, we talked about it for a couple hours today as well. So. Um, and, and I was on a call with the A5 Medical Advisory Panel last night. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're all in that same place, and, and we know it, it's likely going to be a shortened season, less games, and, and we have to accommodate for that. Dr. McDougall, um, the elephant in the room here is not the practice field. It's not the game. It's the other 20 hours of the day. We talked about this last couple weeks on this show, and we're seeing again – Rutgers was the latest team to have to sit down and, and not uh, participate for a little bit. Uh, you know, and a lot of it has to do with what happens off the field. Uh, how can administrators, athletic directors, conference commissioners, coaches, and most notably leaders within those locker rooms emphasize that this is not going to be a normal year. You're going to have to sit out the parties. If the bars are open, you can't go. If you want a season, you're going to have to treat it incredibly different because clearly it is showing that it is off the field where the outbreaks are occurring. How does that message get through? So another uh, excellent uh, question, uh, Andy. So some schools are having the student athletes sign a pledge. They've been characterized as waivers but they're not, at least from what I've seen used at uh, The Ohio State, it's, it's not a waiver, it's a pledge setting uh, expectations of behavior when uh, outside of the uh, practice field. Uh, also, it speaks to the strength of leadership on that respective team and the cohesiveness uh, is everybody in it to win it, to win a championship? And I would think it would, a great deal of this from a team perspective would also not only the coaches, the head coach, the assistant coach, but those team captains. Now that C on that jersey, it means something this year. It, uh, it, it, it can make the difference on whether someone contracts COVID-19 
uh, and whether there may be some uh, residual effects of that if they don't just have an asymptomatic, no symptom experience. So more than any year that C, if you're the captain, you got responsibilities. But but everyone's a leader on the team. That's that's what we say. I, I, I have a military background. I, uh, in the Navy, is is everybody's responsibility to lead. So all hands on deck. Uh, we all have to take care of each other and hold each other accountable. So that's going to be important now more than ever. You know, Dr. Aylin, I don't want to put this at the feet of just student-athletes. Um, if this is going to work, the student body is going to have to embrace this as well in the next couple of weeks in August and into September. Uh, they can be told, you know, a thousand times, don't party, don't congregate. Uh, I don't know how it's going to be policed, but for all of this to work, how much do the students, the general student body, have to adhere to at least in the fall until Thanksgiving, a new normal of what your social life is going to be like? Well, it's critical, Andy, and, and um, you know, it, it's playing out really well at, at some schools, less well at others. And uh, you, you know, it's hard to really figure out how you make that happen. I think part of that is the messaging from the university president, and 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 part of it is Dr. McDougall stated it's 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 the messaging of the the student leaders. This is where I think student athletes can actually have a very active role. So, you know, we we utilize student athletes to to deliver messages about about alcohol use, about substance use, and 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 it's not that the responsibility is just on them, but but they can be a subculture for the good. And, and, and I'm hopeful that that will play out now. But, you know, we, we, we have to see, I remember on one of our uh, NCAA advisory panel calls and, you know, we were talking about other transmittable diseases and, and, and one, of the, one of the infectious disease experts said, well, you know, we've been trying to get student athletes to, to use condoms if they're gonna be sexually active for the past 20 years, but are they really hearing that message? You know, it's a, it's a difficult population be, because they're, as young adults, and we said this before, you know, their frontal lobes are, are still in the process of myelinating. And, and you know, if you add with, with that impulsive decision-making that can get worse under the influence of alcohol, you know, it, it, it sets up a, a condition where, where things just aren't gonna be good for the point, from the point of view of mitigating COVID spread. So, so everyone has to really just awaken and be enlightened that this is something very real, very serious, and we're all in this together. This is where, the public good, this is really for the world good. And, and, and we need to really in a humane manner, like hold hands and say, let's do this together. Although we'll physically distance when we hold hands. But um, Look, Dr. McDougall, clearly uh, the most successful way in terms of uh, playing competitively has been the bubble. We know we can't bubble college sports. Um, and obviously Major League Baseball is now dealing without a bubble. And we'll see what happens with the NFL. Outside of what I'm saying about hopefully that you don't party, you don't go to bars and those kinds of things, what's the closest that college athletes and maybe the student body can get close to a bubble-like life over the next three to four months to make this work? Well, so one, I'd just like to bring up the point that with our discussion with the NCAA leadership, we spoke to how will students who contract student athletes who contract COVID-19, how will, will they be tracked long-term for outcomes? And 
and and that's something that's uh, part of the NCA protocol in regards to adverse uh, injuries and things. So that's going to uh, be uh, tracked. So I think uh, Andy, that is a very good question uh, from a standpoint of we spoke to some of the uh, issues in regards to physical distancing, uh, uh, wearing a mask. Uh, I know for football, to even continue upon that, uh, there's a, a facial shield. But th this is, this is, that's where collecting data uh, and the testing requires a test uh, availability within 72 hours of competition. So that's, that's a point, uh, Andy, where if that school or uh, collegiate program can't produce those types of timely results before the athletic competition takes place, that's another uh, safeguard. So there are safeguards, but what I would also speak to, my answer to your question is this. We need a national plan uh, we need to evoke the Defense Production Act and crank out these testing kits, crank out this PPE. There is no excuse that we haven't done this. It's, uh, and we need a unified voice at the very top of our leadership in this country to speak to this issue and take it seriously because you got half the doggone country not wearing masks because they're following the lead of our uh, national leadership, and 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 it's 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 tragic. So that's my answer. Uh, national leadership. Uh, one last topic I want to dive into real quick, Dr. Hainline, and then Dr. McDougal uh, on the back end, uh, and that is the mental health right now of the student athletes. Um, I know as a father of a prospective student who's supposed to go in the fall to Northwestern, not as an athlete, but as a theater major, I'm dealing with the stress right now of, you know, they're, they're going, hoping that it stays that way. There's a lot of stress with that. Now take the student athlete. Are we playing? We're seeing right and left leagues at all levels of division one, two, three, no fall sports. Uh, so that's happening. Or in the case of Michigan State, the whole program had to shut down for two weeks, quarantine. Uh, the mental health aspect of that, are we still going to play? Um, this is happening right now, and it's going to continue. Dr. Hainline, how concerned are you of that mental health aspect of this unknown and this start, stop, start, stop, quarantine, not quarantine? Well, I'm very concerned, Andy. We, you know, we did a survey on over uh, 28,000 student athletes, and, and we're using that actually as a springboard for a task force that we're going to have um, in August, August 10th and 11th, that will specifically address the mental health concerns of student athletes of color. Because in this survey, we found that student athletes of color were disproportionately negatively impacted on different mental health measures. But all student athletes, the aggregate, are disproportionately negatively impacted in, in terms of depression, anxiety, some even exhibiting post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. So, so this is very real. And and when we talk about mental health, it's not just something that's out here in, 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 in some, you know, sphere in a halo or something. That's very real and very physical. I mean, impacts your physiology and, and, and so much of your, your overall health. So uh, we're deeply concerned. We're, we're addressing it. 
and um, you, you, you know, but uh, the, the other part of it is that we're the, the student athletes are staying really connected to one another and with their coaches because they still need a day-to-day -day rhythm that is somewhat predictable within this vast unpredictability, and we keep emphasizing that as well. Dr. McDougall? Uh, Andy, I'd like to commend Kevin Love. He purchased uh, subscriptions for uh, Headspace for UCLA student-athletes. So uh, that app for mindfulness to help student-athletes cope with stress. And let me take it a, a little bit further. I spoke to you about my Navy background. Well, we would deploy on a ship for six months at sea. I'm deployed. My spouse, my wife is deployed. My family is deployed. So, so yes, it's the student athlete, but you have family members that are concerned about. So you've you've sent them into a situation where they're not uh, sequestered at home. Now they're going into another environment, and so uh, I think we and that family is the support system many times for the athletes. So if you have the the family at stress and Perhaps they don't have excellent insurance coverage. Perhaps they don't have mental health services readily available. So it's, it's, it's a feedback loop. So I think we need to also speak to that family unit as it pertains to uh, stress and well-being of that uh, student athlete. Dr. Medulla, I just want to give you the last word. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Things are changing daily, hourly. How optimistic are you? that we will have some fall sports, college football, at least at the Power Five level, in the next couple of months? So I'm going to answer your question by saying this. Uh, uh, we're going to follow the science. That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at <laughs> – we're, we're not sticking our heads in the sand and pretending that data doesn't exist, science doesn't uh, direct us where we need to go. So that's where it will be important to see how things go with these tests that we've recommended, the turnaround time, that will, and then I'm not going to let the nation off the hook. We need national leadership. And these folks out here not wearing masks, uh, that's, so put it this way. So everybody out there wearing masks, uh, you're helping to prevent college athletes, uh, college athletics from convening uh, this year. Dr. Leo McDougall, uh, congratulations on your uh, election as president of the National Medical Association. That'll start next week. Uh, you are from The Ohio State University. We appreciate Dr. Brian Hainline, as always, the NCAA Chief Medical Officer. This is episode 19 of our social series. Uh, it's great we've been doing this every week, but it also indicates how long we've had to do this because certainly we're showing uh, how long it's been since the pandemic began, at least we've been paying attention to it. We're gonna continue this throughout the course of the year, every week, every week there are more things to discuss on this. You can go to ncaa.org slash social series to see all episodes, all 19 of them archived more than anything. Stay safe, we'll talk again next week, hopefully with even better news. Thanks for watching.